How's everybody doing this morning? Happy New Year. I'm preaching on hope, and one thing that loves to steal the hope of every pastor is when it snows on a Saturday night or on a Sunday morning. I promise you that you're, whenever you wake up and you see fresh snow on the ground on a Sunday morning, know that is a signal to pray for your pastor, please, because uh, he's going through all sorts of fun thoughts. Fun is a very facetious word I'm using right now. Um, also, keep me in prayer, um, and a bit, a bit of a light note here. Um, have you ever had to transition to transitional lenses? Y'all hired a 33-year-old almost 12 years ago that is, I didn't want bifocals. I went, so I'm, I'm having some little issues here, getting used to these things, and laugh all that you want. It, it's coming to you, um, or you're already there, so... Just the inevitability. It's like Thanos there. Um, if you would open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, first book of the Bible. Uh, I am really, really stoked about the series that we are launching today. Uh, really, it's, it's only been brewing in my spirit for the past two, maybe three weeks, um, maybe four at most. But it, this really, this was birthed through a lot of just prayer, just honestly fasting over the month of January because normally January is our series on vision. We do our annual I Am Church series. This is like the first time in like, I think eight years, seven years that we haven't done a vision series. Um, but I began to just, you know, like every pastor that I was talking to, I talked to pastors on a, a weekly, if not sometimes daily basis during the week, um, talking through vision, and, and that is the struggle, the ongoing struggle of churches for 2020. Um, but there's anything that we begin to hear from each other as pastors is our heart is not around vision. Our heart is around hope. And if there's anything that we want to see restored in 2021, we want to see hope rise up. And I'm very thankful that I serve in a city that has some amazing pastors. And I, I want to just give a shout out to the pastors of our city, uh, the people that help serve um, alongside of Kalamazoo First. I mean, I love that the big C church, the capital C church, is more than Kalamazoo First Assembly of God and the Assemblies of God, that the Big C Church is a family and a body centered around Christ, reaching this world for the cause of Jesus Christ. And one of those, uh, and a pastor that I trust in, one of my uh, just favorite pastors in the world, him and I were having a conversation, and we are talking about uh, January, and he kept saying, well, we need to talk about hope. And, and, and he, he gave me a quote that has really resonated in his heart and in the heart of his staff, and it really resonated in mine. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to quote you. He says, go for it. I don't know where I got the quote. And so if he doesn't know where he got the quote, I'll just say, I made up this quote. And uh, no, this quote, it just kind of came over the phone and I, and I set my phone down and I started writing down these words. If we focus on what's right in the world, we might have the energy to fix what's wrong. If we focus on what's right in the world, we might have the energy to fix what's wrong. And the reason why that resonated in my spirit because I knew the direction I wanted to preach when it came to hope and start talking about hope within a congregation. And I'm wondering if that we could find hope right now here where we are at in 2021. I think it's from that place of hope that we will have the energy, the power to fix what is wrong around us. And that's what I want to focus on, focus on today is I want to see hope begin. I want to see hope caught. I want to see hope catching the heart of every human being because our, we were never meant to find hope out here. 
And I love all of you. And for those of you joining us online, I, I, I love all of you immensely, but I don't look to you as the source of my hope. Hope comes from Christ. And I wonder if we could focus on Christ and what he wants to do in this world and we can get our hope upon who he is. Perhaps we can have the energy to fix what's wrong. Because I'm telling you, there are reasons to not have hope. There are reasons to, to, to get frustrated. There are reasons to be negative. But I'm here to say that as the people of God, I'm gonna call us to be the people of God. I'm gonna call us to a, to a hope that is far beyond ourselves, to a hope that may not be, be able to be understood. I think of it how, how the scriptures describe peace, that Jesus gives us the peace that surpasses understanding. That means that Jesus is able to give us peace deep within us when there is no reason to have peace. And just as much as Jesus is able to give peace in that way, he can give hope in that way. And I, y'all, I'm gonna need some help this morning. Come on, I know it's snowing and I know that, that you're still sleepy. Um, so get us, you know, pray that God would just fill you with cappuccino and his spirit right now and get the caffeine going and the spirit of God moving in your life. We're gonna have a little bit of fun this morning. So let's, Genesis chapter 31, excuse me, 32, verse one. So Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And so he called the name of the place Mahamanim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, and the land of Sire, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed with him until now. I have oxen, donkeys, uh, flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we have... We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. And Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. That sounds hopeless, doesn't it? And he divided the people who were with him, the flocks, herds, camels, into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that's left will escape. And Jacob said, O oh God, my father Abraham, God of my father Abraham, Isaac, God of my father Isaac, Lord who is with me, return to your country and your kindred that you may do good. I am not worthy of, of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and of the faithfulness that you have shown your servant. For with me only my staff, I have crossed the Jordan and now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered so the, uh, for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took the present for his brother Esau. We're going to stop right there. Jesus, Lord, I just pray over this time together that you would anoint our minds, anoint our hearts that, Lord, that you would prepare us on the inside out to be a people ready for hope. We need your direction today. We need your help more than ever. And so, God, speak to us. Your servants are listening. Lord, I, I, Lord, I repeat the words that, that Josh spoke today. We speak into 2021 hope. Right now, we speak hope. We speak deliverance. We speak freedom. Lord, we speak joy. We speak peace, God. I, Lord, I, I speak hope for greater things. Hope and that would that stir up vision, God, from individuals and the couples and the families into this community. God, I speak hope into churches, God. Lord, and in a nation where one out of every five pastors or churches are closing or quitting, God, we speak hope into the body of Christ, believing, God, that this is going to be a year of the Lord's favor. 
We speak that, Lord, and we believe it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of the message this morning is simply, Fight from the Inside. Fight from the Inside. Can I give you what the title was supposed to be that I asked? The title was supposed to be The Poop Problem. Some of you are already shaking your heads, and if you're watching online, please don't shut me off and go to another church. Uh, just roll with me a little bit. We'll talk about poop. And maybe it's the kids' pastor, the youth pastor, and me. Just please bear with me. I'm not trying to sound crass. But I actually want to talk to you about the manure crisis of 1894. The manure crisis of 1894. You're like, what does this have to do with hope? Stick with me. Please stick with me. But in the year 1800, uh, the city of London, England, had approximately a million people, um, one of the largest cities in the world. And by the end of that century, get to the the year 1900, it's bursting at a little bit more than 7 million people. But uh, there became to be a a problem that rose up within the city of London, and and the problem was manure. Because uh, what did people use for transportation at that time? What did they use? Horses. Look at that. You guys get Pop-Tarts for that. Horses. Um, They they had horses. They had carriages. In fact, uh, one stat said that there are over 11,000 carriages alone, not to mention individual horses in the city of London. And so there became to be a problem within the city limits itself of manure piling up. Why? Because a horse, stick with me again, a horse can produce approximately up to 22 pounds of manure per day. And so London was experiencing 45 thousand pounds of manure produced every month that's a lot of manure and with that issue the manure was just piling in the streets everywhere and so what became they didn't know where to take it they didn't know what to do with it and so it just sat there and just started piling up and so it turned from a manure problem to a pestilence problem and a sanitary problem and people were getting sick from disease and bacteria that were around because they didn't know what to do with the manure and so this was not just a london england issue it was highlighted there because it was one of the largest cities in the world at the time And so they found out that other urban cities, other large urban cities were facing the exact same thing. And so they held a conference in New York City. In New York City, uh, all of these dignitaries from other cities from around the world came to have this meeting of the international um, city planning for the manure issue that was going on in the world. It is crazy. In 1894, they were all meeting from around the world about manure. But it was a problem because places like New York City, it wasn't as large as London at the time, but the the, the amount of space that was there and all the people crammed there, they had empty lots that were 60 to 70 foot tall of manure in New York City. And they talked for three days. They brainstormed for three days. They argued for three days. And that was in 1898, if I remember correctly. And they argued for three days. And they came out of that meeting. And they went back to their prospective homes around the world. And they came back with zero answers. Zero answers. And you ask yourself, well, what happened? We obviously got past the manure issue. I'll tell you what happened. You see, what they were doing is they were looking for a solution for the immediate problem. They were looking for something that would just simply solve the manure issue. But can I tell you what? If they found some place that took the manure, do you know what they still have? Horses. 
which creates the manure, which created the problem. I think so often we can get caught up trying to fix a problem. If we can just get this problem solved, if we can just get that problem solved, it will just make all things better. But I think that's where we're trying to find hope in something external. If we can just get this person in the White House, if we can just get this law passed, if we can just get this change in the church, if we can just get this change in my spouse, if I can just get my kids to do this one thing. We're after the solution of a problem, and what we need is something beyond that. And the question is, what helped resolve the manure crisis of the 1890s? It was something that we can actually give a tribute to the state of Michigan, specifically the city of Detroit, Hollow 313. We can give a tribute to 313 because of the creation and the manufacturing and the assembly line of the automobile. God bless Detroit. Henry Ford comes out with the assembly line and it began to mass produce cars, actually made them cheaper to buy. And people began to realize it was actually cheaper and more economical to buy a vehicle than to upkeep and to deal with the horse and everything else that went with it. And all of a sudden, instead of solving a little issue of manure, they needed a vehicle that would take them beyond a solution to a problem, beyond a moment, and to take them further than they thought they would ever go. And I'm wondering if that's what we need in the body of Christ today. So often we're, we're arguing over moments, we're arguing over problems. If we can just deal with the mask or if we just deal with this or if we can just have more of this. But I'm wondering if, if we don't need solutions around us but we need a solution within us. We need a vehicle that will take us further than the simple problem that's here. Because the problems will come and problems will go but we need a vehicle called hope that we can dive in and that hope Christ that takes us past it all. We need hope. We need hope to be our vehicle. Or else we're just trying to solve poop problem after poop problem. Manure problem after manure problem. We need hope. And hope will be the vehicle that will move us forward. I wrote this down. What oxygen is to the body hope is to our soul. What oxygen is to our body, hope is to our soul. We've got a hope issue nowadays. We've got a hope issue in people. And hope doesn't come from a governmental system. Hope was actually never meant to come from the government. Hope, was, hope was, comes from Christ. And when we're starting this series on hope, what I don't want to do is try to solve something out here. I want to solve something inside here. And I want us to get to the place where we as the body of Christ walk as a people of hope. Because I want to do more than proclaim hope on a Sunday. My goal is, is that we would get so full of hope on Sunday is that as we go throughout our week, as we travel into our jobs, as we go into our homes, as we're working with our kids through online schooling, as we're interacting with people, whether it's through masks or through Zoom or however, that if there's anything that people can get from us, it may not be a solution to something out here, but it can be something that can resolve of them on the inside, and that is hope in Jesus Christ. The world is suffocating from a lack of hope. We're breathing in everything else, and we're wondering why we're, we're, we're just going through so many struggles with our attitudes and struggles with our demeanor, struggles with, with, with seeing what's next. We need to be a people of hope, especially when our thoughts and our feelings go rogue, especially when our emotions are all over the place. We need 
hope. And so that's why I wanted to look at Jacob. I love, love reading scripture. I love studying the different characters of the scripture. Um, and I'm, when I think of, of people that struggle with hope, Jacob to me is at the top of the list. And what I love about Jacob, Jacob is messed up. Jacob honestly is one of the most negative people that you'll find in scripture, yet he's one of the founding fathers of, of, of who we are and how we came to be. Um, when we think about in the Old Testament, they always talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and so something good actually happened in him, but this dude is a mess. In fact, this is, this is what's so wild. The book of Genesis is 50, 50 chapters long. Jacob and his family take up 26 of those chapters. I mean, Abraham doesn't even get that much pub. Adam and Eve don't get that much pub. Isaac, I feel like Isaac barely gets mentioned, but we sit on Jacob. And Jacob, how messed up is Jacob? How messed up is he, Pastor Dave? Thank you for asking. Um, Jacob is such a mess that every relationship in his life he has ruined or violated. He ruined his relationship with his parents. He ruined his relationship with his brother. Do you remember what he did to his brother? He faked out his dad because his dad was blind, so he took advantage and he faked out his dad, pretended he was his brother, so his brother would, so his dad would pronounce the blessing of the inheritance over top of them. And nobody did to his brother. His brother was in a vulnerable spot, so he deceived his brother into his brother agreeing to hand over his inheritance, double inheritance of any other sibling, over to him. And Esau wanted to kill him. His brother Esau just wanted to, literally wanted to lop off his head. And instead of dealing with the issue, Jacob just takes off and just goes works for his uncle Laban. And Jacob, whose name meant, means deceiver, and he lived up to his name, didn't he? He just kept deceiving people. He goes and he works for his uncle, and then he wants to marry his uncle's daughter. That's probably a long story. Never marry your uncle's daughter. That's, that's, that's weird. And so he goes to marry his uncle's daughter, and on the wedding day, they cover the daughter's face, and he has the wedding night, and most likely got drunk. It was most likely dark. It's the wedding night. He wakes up in the morning and realizes that his uncle switched daughters. And so he works longer for his uncle so he can marry the other daughter. I'm like, Jacob, what are you doing? And then not only that, he ruins the relationship between him and his wives because his one wife, his not-so-favorite wife, had 10 sons. His favorite wife had one son, so he picked that one son to be his favorite. So he basically turned his 10 sons against him and against his son. This man is an absolute mess. If you want to know how not to conduct your family issues, just read Jacob and then... Some of you are going to go home and just hug your family members and say, thank you for not being Jacob. Jacob is a mess. He is what seems like a hopeless mess. And what we find here in chapters 31 and 32 is Jacob is... He is done with his uncle Laban, done working for him. He's done being manipulated by him. And this is so funny. If you are a manipulator, don't be surprised when you get manipulated because you're just reaping what you sow. The deceiver gets deceived. And so what he does is he tries to escape and his, and his uncle tries to track him down and, and things kind of get somewhat reconciled in chapter 31. But in 32, do you know what direction he's running from his uncle into? He's running in direction of the brother who he swindled out of his inheritance. I mean, this is what my professor, my theology three professor, Dr. Vernon Purdy, he gave us the most unbelievable, deep statement that I think he ever gave us in all of Theology 3, he simply said this, and we wrote it down, sin will make you stupid. He's running from one issue, and he is running in the direction of the issue that has left undone. 
That's why we, we take care of our issues is because when you, when you keep running, don't be surprised when you run into things that you've left unresolved. And that's why I challenge people is to resolve things in your life. Because if you look at, I'm telling you what, I, sometimes I felt like Jacob that I keep running from issue to issue to issue. And many times I think it's everybody's issue, not realizing the common denominator, the common denominator in the life equation is Dave Berenger. <laughs> Sila on that. Jacob is the common denominator. And in chapter 32, we find him facing his brother Esau. In fact, he is on his way. He is going in a direction, and Esau is waiting for him. And so Jacob, instead of going and facing his brother Esau, look at verse 3. He sends messengers. He sends a text through people. Hey, go, go see how things are going with my brother. Go check in with my brother. And then verse four and five, this is so funny because he says, use these words. Call him my Lord. Tell him your servant Jacob is waiting. I mean, he's trying to literally schmooze his friends, uh, his, his brother and his brother's friends. He's trying to kind of warm things up. He's putting out some testers right there. My dad used to say this, put out his feelers just to see how things are going. And then look at verse six. This is what's so funny is the his messengers come back and they're like, dude, we saw Esau and he has got 400 men with him. And so Jacob, again, here's Jacob. Nothing makes sense. So instead of owning up and saying, let me go and just talk to my brother, he gets the bright idea, let me divide my family. Here's the my not so favorite wife and my not so favorite kids and sheep's goats and all these things, put them in this group. And then I'm gonna go with my favorite wife and my favorite kid and then all these sheep and goats and we're gonna split them up. And if Esau overtakes this one, it's all good because we still have this one left over. Again, some of you need to go home and hug your spouse and say, thank you for not being Jacob. (laughs) And then Jacob, finally, guess what he does after he does all of this? He then prays to God. God, help me with Esau. The reason why Jacob cannot handle anything correctly is because Jacob doesn't look at anything correctly. He can't handle it because he can't look at it correct. He can't handle it right because it doesn't have a good perspective. I would venture to say that Jacob doesn't have hope. If you're a note taker this morning, there's three things I want you to write down about people that are hopeless and people that are just downright negative in their spirit. There's three things I want you to write down because it's what I see in this scripture that hopeless negative people cling to. These three things. Number one, they script out plans. They script out elaborate plans. Number two, They exaggerate what they hear. They exaggerate that which they hear. And then number three, they have 911 prayer lives. 911 prayer lives. How does hopelessness start? How is it that we become hopeless people? Uh, There's an old adage that says this, ships don't sink from the water around them, they sink when the water gets into them. Come on, think about that. 
Ships, boats, they don't sink from the water around them. They sink from the water getting into them. And that's where negativity starts. That's what I see happening to Jacob. It's Jacob, instead of dealing with the water that's coming in the boat, I feel like Jacob makes more holes. I grew up on the Three Stooges. I don't know if you remember the, the clip where all of a sudden they shoot a hole in the boat and the boat starts linking. And so Curly picks up the gun and he shoots another hole in the boat. And he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm putting a hole in the boat to let out the water. Jacob is just shooting the boat. And he's not sinking because of what's around him. He's sinking because of what is getting in. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this. This is very deep and theological. Bad stuff happens. We live in a broken world. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We live in a broken world. Sometimes things happen because they happen because we live in a broken world. Let's admit, sometimes things are happening in our life because of choices that we've made in our past. And sometimes we're living in the consequence of things or decisions that we have made. And other times things just happen because we live in a broken world. But let me encourage you that we can have things happen to us, but those things do not have to get into our soul. They don't have to get in. And my challenge is this, is to take ownership over your hope. Because what's happening around you doesn't have to get into you. Let me repeat that this morning, that what is happening around you does not, does not, does not have to get into you. That's where we're starting today, is getting hope in our spirits. So let's look at Jacob, because we we saw those three things. Jacob does literally what we laid out. He begins to script, um, he begins to script elaborate plans. He scripts elaborate plans. And now what's funny is as I'm writing out the sermon, I'm realizing I am literally Jacob. My wife will tell you this is all pure Dave Berenger. Jacob, because he is so tethered to outside issues, because unless the outside is going okay, I'm not okay on the inside. And so he begins to develop elaborate plans. Why do we script out elaborate plans? It's because we want to control the situation. That okay, I have to script out all of these plans of what I'm gonna do and all these scenarios of of how I'm going to do it. And we do that to be in control. And, And that's what Jesus taught us. Jesus taught us this in Matthew chapter six, verse 34. Don't worry about tomorrow. It doesn't mean that we don't plan. It doesn't mean that we're not stewards of our life, but some of us are scripting out elaborate things, but not out of a planning or stewardship, but we're doing it out of worry. Huffington Post said this, they did an experiment, they showed this experiment on anxious moments in people and said this, that 85% of what subjects are worried about actually never happens. And of the 15% that actually happened, 79% of the subjects discovered either they could handle the difficulty better than expected or the difficulty taught them a lesson that was worth learning. The article went on to say this. It meant that 97% of what you worry about is not much more than a fearful mind pushing you with exaggerations and misperceptions. In other words, the things that are toppling us as the body of Christ are interior issues, interior fears, interior anxieties. And that's why as we start talking about hope, we're not talking about shaping what's out there. We're talking about inviting hope to invade in here. And so my word to you this morning is stop scripting plans at the expense of trusting God. Stop scripting scripting plans at the expense of trusting God. Trusting God is, is just that, it's trusting God. But we have to stop scripting scenarios just in case God doesn't show up. 
Because sometimes God does show up and he shows up not before the fire hits, but when the fire is actually happening. And sometimes, according to Isaiah chapter 43, that we do have to go through the rough waters and we're gonna go through the floods, but the beauty is that he's still with us in that. So number one, he scripts elaborate plans. Number two, Jacob exaggerates everything that he hears. Oh, this is Dave Berenger personified. He exaggerates everything he hears. Uh, do you remember what the, the, the messengers came back? They said, oh, he's got 400 people with him. What do you think, what do you think Jacob thought when he heard that? 400 warriors, 400 chariots, 400 swords, 400 bazookas have all shown up to destroy me. This is Dave Berenger because whenever, like if Ann texts me, she goes, hey, I gotta talk with you. Do you know what I do immediately? What are we gonna talk about? <laughs> are you staying with me? <laughs> or somebody will text me from the church. I will never forget. And I give a shout out to Al and Judy. I'm still praying for Judy's healing. I remember, it was I think the first year or two, Al was on our board of trustees and Al texts me and says, hey, do you want to do lunch? And immediately, I mean, Al is literally the nicest guy you've ever met in your entire life. Immediately, what did I do? I've got a board member that wants to meet with me. Do you know what he wants? I mean, I went through all sorts of scenarios. I begin to exaggerate what it could be and how I was getting fired. You know what Al wanted to do? Was introduce me to chili dogs here in Kalamazoo. We went to Treat Street and had chili dogs because he knows I'm a chili dog fan because if you're from Detroit, you gotta have a good coney. And if you don't have a good coney, I would kind of write off the, the hot dog. And it's all, boss wants to talk with me. You start exaggerating everything. And the reason why we can't have hope is because we're spending it. We're spending our energy on the exaggeration. Verse six and seven, this is what they said. And Jacob starts going into all sorts of scenarios. Oh my word, I've got, I've got to start scripting out plans because this is what's going to happen. And then we get to the third point where he has this 911 prayer life. You know what a 911 prayer life? A 911 prayer life is when we've turned prayer from being a place of communion with God to the place where it's just simply our fire escape away from our problems. Prayer was meant to be a place where we commune with God. The presence of God is where we commune with him. It is not meant to be a fire escape for us to get out of our problems. It is not your get out of jail free card. For those of you that don't know Monopoly, go play Monopoly today. It's not there. It's for us to commune with the Lord. And we get to verse 11. Now something to note about verse 11, if you're gonna read on Jacob this week, I want you to note something about verse 11 of chapter 32 is this is the only time, get this, it is the only time that Jacob initiates conversation with God. The rest of the time, God initiates it with Jacob. And what does Jacob pray? He prays this, save me from Esau. Do you know what Jacob should have prayed? Save me from Jacob. Save me from me. The point of prayer is not to turn God into our cosmic genie where we come in and he just gives us whatever we want. Prayer is less about me getting God to know what I want him to do. Prayer is all about me submitting unto God and letting him change me in his presence. I wrote this down earlier this week. Prayer changes the prayer before it changes the problem. See, getting back to our manure story from the beginning, 
See, hope doesn't come because something gets resolved out here. That feels good, but that's not where hope is meant to come. That means that our hope is purely dependent upon the environment being right. But I'm here to tell you that you can have everything going right out here, but if you don't have the right environment in here, you're missing the boat. And you'll never truly know hope that is everlasting. Hope that is more than emotion. Hope that is a state of our being. And what our world needs in 2021 is they don't need things solved out here necessarily. They need something reconciled in here. Because if we can find Christ and we can find hope, it will transport and lead us into places of healing and deliverance and revival. That's what we need. We need something to transpire inside that will help us understand that which is outside. And the beauty is the rest of the story. I mean, go, we don't have time to get into chapter 33. We're going to chapter 33, verse 4, is, is Jacob approaches his brother. And, and, and he walks up, he's like, okay, bro, what you got? I'm, I'm, I'm the worst of the worst. And Esau hugs the neck. They embrace, and it says that they wept out loud together. And this is reminiscent, I think it's of uh, Proverbs, I think it's chapter 16, verse 7, that God can take our enemies and make, us, make them into our friends. This is the solution, is when we begin to discover hope and God begins to move hope on the inside, it begins to transpire in how we're supposed to live it into the outside. As I bring this thing to a close, I look to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. This is such a powerful, powerful scripture. It says that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. Who is writing this? This is the apostle Paul. Paul who had been beaten, he had been shipwrecked. He got bit by a snake at one point. Um, Paul who had been stoned, he had been beaten with rods, uh, thrown in jail multiple times, buck naked. Um, I mean, we've got all sorts of travesties that has gone. He is actually working with the church in Corinth. With the church in Corinth, if you ever, if you ever wonder about church issues, the church in Corinth had, was the worst of the worst, and yet he is helping them and he's guiding them. And I'm here to and painting that picture because this: if there's anybody that had an external reason to not have hope, it was Paul. If anybody had an external reason to not have any hope, it was Paul. But Paul teaches us that in the midst of all of this that we can't have hope. And we love quoting this. This is fun to quote, but this cannot be understood without the previous verse. I want you to look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, and I'm going to read the, the Living Bible. We are, actually go back, go to the next one, I'm sorry. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, for we are afflicted. See, Paul says, hey, we have these things happening and we're able to be afflicted, but not crushed. We can, we can be driven, persecuted, but not forsaken. We can be struck down. We can go through stuff out here and not crumble. Why? Because of verse seven. You can face eight and nine issues because of the seven situation. What's the seven situation? There is a treasure on the inside, and that treasure is Jesus. I'm going to do me a little science experiment for you. This is old school, for those that grew up in the Assemblies of God, old school Royal Ranger experiments. This is campfire experiments. These, I went and bought Dixie Cups from the Dollar Tree. That was my first job ever, working for the Dollar Tree for $3.25 an hour. Man, it was awesome. And 
if there's anything to understand about Dixie Cups is they're pretty fragile. And they easily, thank you, God bless. I'm here all week. We understand it's fragile and it's going through probably what Paul is trying to describe in eight and nine, but it couldn't withstand anything that was happening on the outside of it. Why? Because there's nothing on the inside. And this is what's so beautiful and so simple. I'm just pouring in a little water. I'm drinking it to make sure you know it's not any chemical. But this is the beauty of this very simple experiment. Is I could sit here and torch this thing. And the cup that should actually be reduced to nothing can still stand. Do you wanna know why? Because chemically, the properties that are on the inside get transferred to the outside. And because of what's contained on the inside, it makes the outside that should crumble and fall apart be absolutely rescued and absolutely usable and absolutely there for people to see and for people to enjoy. I don't wanna drink out of it. I could drink out of the cup right now. But that's what hope in Christ does. That's what Paul's trying to get us to understand. This is what Jacob finally understood is that if I can get hope in me inside here, I can now contain whatever has happened to me out here. People, I do wanna solve issues. I do wanna see things taken care of out here, but that was never meant to be our source. But if we can be a people of hope, we can get something deep down inside of our spirits. That means that we can begin to go into 2021, not hanging our heads wondering what's gonna happen this year. What else could happen in our life? What else could happen in our government? That was never meant to be who we were as the people of God. We are people of Jesus. We are people full of his hope. And now we can walk and we can grow. We can not grow weary. We can run and not grow faint. That we can go through things and they can come against us, but they won't destroy us because we've got hope. We've got hope. And I've gotten way off my notes. I mean, simply said, hope was never meant to get rid of the pain. But it, was, but it was actually meant to be our light that would lead us through. Hope was never meant to get rid of the pain. Hope, I'm not here to give you something false that just gets rid of it. It just makes life all good. Listen, life sometimes, I'll say it this way, life sucks sometimes. But hope becomes our light that guides us through those weary, tired moments. My life is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust my sweetest frame, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is just sinking sand. Bow your heads with me. I'm done yakking. I'm done. Before we go any further, let me just put out a word. If you're here today and you, just, you, you are an empty cup this morning. I don't know how you ended your year. I don't know how your year has gone. I don't know how your life has gone. And that is not my worry this morning. My worry is this moment right here, right now. And maybe you're here today and you feel empty. Maybe this morning you just feel absolutely empty. You feel lost. Maybe you just feel like... 
you have no hope whatsoever. And maybe it's just simply because you've never, maybe you've just never entered into a trust relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never had a relationship with God before. And today you need, you need that, what Jesus called living water in you. You need something in you. You need hope in you. You need Christ in your life. If you're here today and you're not in relationship with Jesus, but you're ready to make a brand new decision, to start off with a new year, new decision, and with new life, because the scripture says that all who believe in Christ are brand new in him. If you're here today and you need to be made brand new, you need hope poured into you, you need Jesus in your life, if that's you, just with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Dave, that's me. I need to start this year with a brand new life. Thank you for that hand. That's awesome. Anybody else, you just need to start fresh, brand new this year with a new relationship with Jesus. Even if you're at home, it may sound silly, it may sound weird. I'll ask you to raise your hand at home. I can't see you. But there's just something about having a physical response that solidifies an inward decision. And if you're watching with a family member, would you tell a family member that you're watching with, you know what, I need Christ to be in my life. And this is all I want you to do here, is I want you to just hold your hands out in front of you and just say, Jesus, I invite you into my life to fill the cup of my life. Give me your hope. Give me your strength. Today I trust in you. I want to be made new. And Lord, what I pray is not just for those individuals that lifted up their hand this morning, but Lord, I also pray for individuals in homes and individuals that will be listening to this podcast, people will be watching this Facebook Live later or YouTube or whatever. Lord, I pray that, to, that today that we would be a people that would be like Jacob, that would, that would just stop ourselves in chapter 32 and realize a new chapter has to begin that we have to stop dealing with the, the external issues, trying to find hope, realizing that there's a greater thing, a greater vehicle that we need to jump in. And Lord, right now, I just speak hope in this place. I speak hope into homes. I speak hope into marriages today. I speak hope into parents who have wayward children. I speak hope, Lord, I speak hope into pastors this morning that are struggling with just depression. They're struggling with discouragement, God. I pray hope, God, into families that are dealing with just uh, physical issues, individuals, God, that just can't, Lord, they can't can't figure out what's going on with, the, with their bodies, God, and they're just going through sickness after sickness. Lord, we speak hope, God, and this is where we began. We don't fight it from the outward. We fight it in the inward by inviting you in, asking you, God, fill us with hope. Let us be a people of hope and let that hope be the vehicle to navigate what happens on the outward. Because our lives cannot be built on anything less than who you are, Lord Jesus. So instill us, fill us, overflow us with everlasting hope. Let that treasure be in these jars of clay. I speak that in Jesus' name, amen. Can we celebrate people who have given their lives to Jesus this morning?